0: Welcome to What Are We Singing? I'm your host, Trent Walker. I'm so glad you're joining me today. Today, as I promised last week, we're gonna do a song dive into the song King of Kings by Hillsong Worship. Now, um, I thought about this a little bit this week in the fact that I've been calling these song dives. Like, what I mean by that is we're really gonna go after how this song can be useful in your church, how it can be um, beneficial to you if you're leading the song as a worship leader, and what you can know about the Word of God in order to lead this song with conviction. If you're a believer and just need to know, like what what is this song all about? What is it? Wh- what am I taking away from this? And then, lastly, but definitely not least, if you are a lead pastor or a senior pastor, this would be a song I would recommend you having in your church and for you to know why the people of god need to be singing this song too so i wanted to kind of posture that because i got thinking that man maybe sometimes when people think of a song dive they think um of like a song story i'm I'm not gonna go and interview the writers of (laughs) king of kings and be like well what were you feeling during this verse like what prompted you to say this thing i'm not i'm not gonna do that that's that's not Not what this is about. Anyways, uh, (laughs) but I genuinely want to be able to present before you uh, helpful ways in which we can do this Christian faith better in ways where we can grow together in our walk. And primarily I'm looking across the landscape of the church today and saying, well, man, if, if the church is singing songs and they're singing these songs, then I want to help with that because I think I've got something to say. And usually that kind of prompts me in that direction to say, what are we singing? So first things first, wow, this song has a lot of Lyrics. This is one of those songs that every worship leader dreads to lead because you have to have a confidence screen leading that. Now I counted up, it's 210 words if you only include the chorus once. In comparison, think of other worship songs like Build My Life has 134 lyrics in it. Uh the new one we just talked about recently, Holy Forever, has 123 words in it. Uh how about another really popular song that Hillsong wrote? 353 words in the song what a beautiful name and yet so we know that one but for the most part we tend to lean towards the songs like goodness of god with 148 lyrics in it Um, we tend to lean in that less than 200 word count worship song pop culture song moment You know, and from a pop culture standpoint, there are other songs that we know really well, and we can probably sing all the lyrics to. I counted these up. Uh, Songs like American Pie, 616 lyrics. Ice Ice Baby, 540 lyrics. Uh, Summer of 69, 274 lyrics. Um, You know, it's, in general, pop music tends to have, like, less than 200 lyrics, and when you get above that, You know you definitely still have to have a hook to a song that people can remember and really that's something i'll talk a whole lot more about when we get to the courses on songwriting because there is something magical if you can hit under 200 words for a song but back to this song you know 210 words that's that's the kind of song that like worship leaders don't want to memorize and probably 99% of them don't memorize, I'm one of those, right? Like, I mean, that's just a lot of words. And, you know, we trust in this thing called the confidence screen, which is crazy to me because everywhere you go, like in any concert or any performing arts of any kind, when there's people who are on a stage in front of other people, or, you know, even like a, a campfire setting, like it is so rare for Me to see somebody who looks at lyrics while they are trying to lead. Like a presenter really does their best to try to memorize their music or if they're presenting in front of somebody. And so I think that's an area that I would love to see reform in. And I know that it's really hard because we spend a lot of money on something called the confidence screen. And it's usually the projector that's playing on the back wall of the church so that the worship leader or the lead pastor can basically look at the crowd but then look up at their notes and stuff like that and it's usually on the back wall so if you don't know what this thing is next time you go into church just turn around and look on the back screen sometime and see if you can find a confidence monitor one of the most common things i hear in the worship world or from just average people about worship music is that people don't connect when songs have too many words in them and whether you agree with that or not This song fulfills the way-too-long song perfectly, and still we sing it. So why? Well, it's got a ton of theology in it, and for that very reason, we find ourselves doing it. I've recently argued that the average Christ follower gets their doctrine from worship songs today and not from what the pastor is saying. I think that has a lot to do with this information overload age where we feel like we have been fatigued with all the stuff we're supposedly supposed to know. Plus, our modern church age has put so much of a focus on topical teaching, things like how to have a good marriage, seven tips for a successful life, and the gospel according to Dave Ramsey, that we kind of swirl out and wondering really what the foundation of it all is on in the first place. And to that, our culture tends to love anonymity and love self-indulgence, and the average Christ follower lies to themselves and says they're devout believers when actually most just go to church and do their best by, to do good by their family and job and checking off the box until something goes wrong in their life and they realize that they've been just existing in this world and not walking by faith. Basically, it's awfully hard to live by faith when the only one who is doing that is the pastor preaching the message. And so we tune him or her out. We may even say, wow, that was a great message today. I really needed that. But then we go back to work or school and we're bombarded by the onslaught of the universe around us that says your religion is child's play in comparison to the complex realities we all have to live with. And basically, Christianity and our faith and our church is somewhat relegated to the fringes of society now. And we don't relate, you know. But I get it because to get real, it's people in and outside of the church today that are dealing with things like divorce, substance abuse, infidelity, mistrust, financial hardships, and a whole slew of things that feel like a I'll pray for you seems more like a slap in the face than it does actual help. Though I will pause to say that I have seen and experienced and know that prayer moves mountains. I'm not saying we should stop that. This pre-pandemic push towards having a relevant-to-the-culture church has left so many saying, like Elijah said, where is the God of Elijah, though more with the behavior and spiritual posturing of Ahab. But unlike a sermon that may be good for that moment in today's highly distracted and faithless world, the worship song has the potential to carry the hope of the gospel in a way that can cut through the noise And live within the halls of our mind and spirit throughout the day and week and seasons of life. This is why I tend to not be critical or overly critical over modern worship songs. But rather speak out of a deep desire that our songs we are singing in church not be vanilla. But that they be full of the power of God. And that the songs that carry legacy last a little longer. Those songs that they can last a little longer and be presented rather than the pop culture flash in the pan kind of push. So, you know, worship songs do have that powerful ability to unify, whereas one guy preaching on stage is often written off if you tend not to agree with one small thing about what they say. But a song like this, we're talking about King of Kings. It has the aim of teaching people who are singing some of what we would call tenets of what we believe, tenets of our faith. The song is like a brief history overview of what God did and is doing in the church. It's a reminder and a teacher of what we believe, which is so needed. Maybe this is why we're okay with how wordy it is. It's like a creed, and the church practiced creeds as a form of worship for centuries. So, one of the main things I wanted to cover in this episode is a bit of the history on the Apostles' Creed, the early form of worship practice of reciting what the church's foundations stood on. I would argue that the majority of the Western Christian church today does not know the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. I mean, they may know about it, and they may have quoted it at some point, but if you've grown up in a non-denominational, contemporary, or relevant church, then you probably, like me, didn't know much about this. I found out last year that it was actually part of the early Pentecostal movement to reject any sort of creed. When I first heard the Apostles' Creed, the line that stuck out to me was the line that says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, dot, dot, dot. Immediately, I was confused because I grew up in a spirit-filled, full-gospel church. So... Catholic to me was the Catholic church down the street. I really didn't know the difference between like Catholic with like small C, the universal church is what it would be described as, and Catholic like large C, which is the Catholic church that we know with the Pope and all that kind of stuff, Uh, the Roman Catholic church. I grew up in a full gospel, spirit-filled church, which what was implied When I was young, yet never said from my upbringing was that our church, because of the outpouring of the spirit at the Azusa Street Revival, preached the full gospel of the Bible and withheld nothing. This also implied that everyone else withheld truths presented in the Bible, whether willingly or unwillingly. And so basically those reformers down the street only preached a half gospel and the Catholics, well, they're just sinners who created Mardi Gras. Now, I know this seems silly, and I am exaggerating quite a bit, of course, but for a young man growing up in the church, I didn't have a grid for Christianity as a whole. Plus, it really works well when you reinforce why you believe what you believe. So for the charismatic, the fact of the matter was that my parents' church was always up against the more established churches and being accused of being different. Of course, this is also the history of the Reformers and the Protestants and the Methodists, and in every generation who has a revelation of the word of God and sees their establishments preaching the word of God, yet not living it. It's it's kind of like I laugh because my brother-in-law used to work for a company called Gordon Food Service and, uh, and now he works for Costco and he's worked for Costco for a long time. But I remember how passionate and how excited he was about working for Gordon Food Service and his whole grid was that. In fact, they were the best thing since sliced bread. And he was the biggest evangelist and champion of them. And any other thing around was just not as good. Well, I don't remember, you know, what happened, but it happened pretty quickly. Within one year, he finished up at Gordon or got offered or or applied and, and got a job as a store manager at the Costco that was coming into town. And, Within one year, I was hearing the exact same conversation again about Costco. It's the best thing in the whole world. Best thing since sliced bread. All the other competitors don't even compare. So, I mean, I get that, right? Like, if you're growing up in one denomination and one church, there is this normal kind of like, well, of course we want to generate excitement as to why we believe what we believe. And yes, we love the universal church, but at the end of the day, we want you to love our church and our community. <laughs> so so I get it, right? I, mean, I think that we have things a little different today because on the other hand, you know, denominations, they can be good and bad. You know, there can be different uh, methods. There can be different... Uh, trajectories that can all be good and i praise the lord for the body of christ as we call it which is usually the term i use when referring to the small c catholic church the universal church because i think of the scripture that says why would the hand say to the foot i don't need you like no we all need each other um but you know the reality is is that and in every generation and in every background, there's always going to be this kind of uh, ruffling the feathers of the establishment so that so that we can really get back to the heart of what we started for. And, and I think that's good some of the time. I have heard recently that schisms that have been happening in the Christian churches today over their views on gender identity and same-sex marriages are the largest schisms since the fall of the Byzantine Empire. Because... I am on the side of like, man, you really shouldn't change the Bible. And if you want to believe that same-sex unions can be blessed by the church, well, then you're going to have to rewrite the Bible because that goes against the foundations of marriage. And it's all throughout the Bible. And in fact, it would be very wrong of us to say, well, these are the verses about marriage. And so because these verses don't say this specific thing, then the Bible doesn't clearly say. I'm like... Now anybody that says that is a complete fool. I mean, are you kidding me? Read the Bible. The entire thing is about the kingdom of God. It's one cohesive unit. You can't take things and pull them apart. Okay, that's that's my little soapbox on that. Guys, tune in next week as I have a very special guest that I've interviewed who was very popular among the worship world when it was first beginning. This guest speaker's name is Bob Fitz and he has written so many popular songs that many of our churches in the world are still singing today. One of my favorite ones was that, is is a song called, He Will Come and Save You. Well, I've had the privilege of getting to know Bob as a close friend and a mentor in my life, and I'm grateful to have him share his wisdom with you, especially as we talked about how to lead worship in a politically divided nation this year and how to truly bring unity to the people of God. I think what he has to say is pretty crucial and I don't want you to miss it. So tune in next week Thursday to What Are We Singing? We'll see you there. Speaking of the Byzantine Empire, we are talking about the creeds today in light of the song, King of Kings. So I wanted to hit a 10,000 foot view of church history to get a better look at this. A song like King of Kings is a way of sorts to introduce to today's believer to the creeds. I mean, it isn't at all one of the creeds. And yet at the same time, it talks a lot about what we believe through what we're singing. It is a little covert. In essence, this is the aim. To put in the language of the song, a unified history of what we believe, about seven or eight years ago, Hillsong and the CCM World through the Newsboys had songs come out around the same time called I Believe and We Believe. In fact, I was really confused because I was leading worship at a time and we were doing the song I Believe. And yet I heard other things about, like on Planning Center, I would see We Believe. I'm like, what's this song We Believe? I'm like, oh, it's by the Newsboys. It's kind of like when iPhone comes out then Samsung's got to come out with the same thing. So this happened among the whatever quote unquote music industry within Christianity is that the newsboys came out with a creed song as well. The song King of Kings doesn't say the word believe but as an but believe but as an act of saying praise the father, praise the son, praise the spirit 3 in 1, we are declaring our belief within this praise. But back to the creeds. The first was the Nicene Creed. This was when the Christian church really became the center stage on the world scene. If you've read your Bible, you know that the church flourished and grew in the book of Acts, where there were times of peace during the Pax Romana, the peacetime of the Roman uh, imperialism. and, And during this time, the church grew. But when the church was persecuted and dispersions happened, the diaspora, guess what? The church grew. And as the Gentile Christians were caught in the crossfire of Jewish revolts, the messianic jewish communities and their new gentile converts began to drift and within one generation there were hardly any jews left for christians to learn the depth of their faith from and heresies began to grow specifically among a man named marcion who among other heresies wanted to establish canonical texts that would steer the narrative of the gospel of jesus christ away from its jewish roots Along came a few amazing men of God, specifically someone named Origen, who steered the church bishops in Jerusalem, Antioch, Rome, and Alexandria to use Paul's writings as the foundation and basis of canon in the New Testament because of Paul's teaching and connections with the Jewish narrative of Jesus. This was really crucial in the foundation of the church, but brought about the conversations of things that we still grapple with today, terms like the Trinity, and the nature or essence of Jesus. The argument of whether or not Jesus was begotten from the Father was a huge deal. One main argument said if God made Jesus, then Jesus is not equal to God, and therefore how could he truly be God? The Eastern churches viewed the crucifixion in the light of Jesus's victory over death as something only God could do. The West viewed the crucifixion as something sinful humanity did to Jesus. And when I say West, I mean Rome. And what eventually came in to be the bishops of Constantinople and where Constantine the Great established, you know, the formation of the new Roman Empire that we call the Byzantine Empire uh, in the early 300s. As the West viewed that crucifixion as something sinful humanity did to Jesus, this caused people to look at Jesus as the victim and put the emphasis on people needing redemption from their sins. So it's interesting to note that both of the songs we believe and I believe that I mentioned a bit ago reinforce the Trinity, but the Newsboys version doesn't explicitly say something like God three in one, which the Hillsong version does. And again, the song King of King does as well as I might mention a way more popular song in the church. How great is our God? That one does too. This is interesting because the Newsboys version leaves it open for interpretation as to whether or not Jesus is equal to God. And I made this argument uh, in the song dive on Holy Forever that it's really interesting and good and and definitely more um, ecumenical, uh, broader for us to worship God. But it's the name of Jesus that really causes a wedge sometimes because what do, you, what do you mean by this, especially among you know, Jews and those who are not Messianic Jewish because they have been taught the Shema their whole life, uh, our God is one. And so that's a really conflicting and, and hard thing to, to wrestle with, this thing called the Trinity. Needless to say, the minutiae of what these early believers believed meant a great deal to them. So why does it not mean much to us today? I believe that pastors and leaders of the church today are painfully aware of how much people don't know about their faith. We may have good programs, support the right social causes, and have the great feels and decisions for Christ in our churches, but people are very busy and don't want to dig in too deep about theology. Like, that word is already a little heady even, and kind of left for just the people on Twitter to argue about, or X, or whatever you want to call it. So it's nicer just to say what we believe. And it's easier for me to say, well, I believe in God. The writer of the book of James challenges the believer to be doers of the word and act on your faith, not just give lip service to it. James 2.18 says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. So show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It's like to declare or say that you believe something or to say it without having conviction on it and to know the word of God and not act on it is something that in my upbringing, the church looked down on. And the early Pentecostals of which I was grown up in that, that tradition most likely veered away from the creeds because they didn't want to fall victim to the same things that Bonhoeffer who was the famous theologian who was martyred uh, during World War II by the Nazi regime. He accused the German church of something, and, and not just the German church, but the church at large, of suffering from something called cheap grace. And so you got to understand the Pentecostal movement, this uh, move away from Methodism and move away from the holiness movement into chasing the spirit-filled life and then then ushering in the charismatic movement this it meant deeply to these early pentecostals not to do creeds because they wanted people to experience God and and really know him so we have these two kind of polarizing things the very intelligent community that wants to deeply know their theology but beyond knowledge don't lift a finger to actually act on the word of god and and then the other side the feelers you know the holy rollers those who love the manifestations and the workings of the holy spirit seeing miracles and all these kind of things but but don't really understand the depth of the word of god and and to me both of those are wrong and both of those are are not good and i'm not saying uh, we should have a a uh, a moderate balance on them where we just water down both sides. Like, no, I feel like that's where we're at today as a church, is I feel like we've had so much of both sides, so we just water down both of them. And I'm more like, well, no. This is why I'm teaching this course called Worship with the Word, because I deeply want to know the Word of God. I want to know theology, because for one, I believe that God made me intelligent. I believe he made I believe He made. Humans intelligent with the mind to chase him. And if we feel like we're not intelligent to do that, then we need to pray and say, God, give me wisdom that I could know you. And if you want to know the Lord, then you're going to know him by reading the word of God. At the same time, like I don't want to read words on a page just to read them. I, I want the word of God to change me and move me towards compassion. You know, I, I do. I do worry about this today in the church. I, I worry that that we're suffering from this like just watered down version all around. Like we don't have too many chasing after deep theology, like seeing those people of like C.S. Lewis and I'm just now learning of a guy named Dallas Willard, you know. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I want to see the fullness of the move of the Holy Spirit and, and I want to be able to touch the hem of his garment you know like these are things that i deeply want for my family for my children i am grateful to sing songs like king of kings and i wonder how much we are saying we believe but how much of this faith are we willing to walk out what are we singing is a listener supported podcast it's a ministry of trenton siobhan ministries the fact that you're listening to this podcast right now and getting value from it blesses me so so much I just want to ask a few things. Would you be willing to pray for Trent and Siobhan Ministries as we continue to serve and resource the kingdom of God and inspire others to walk in their calling with the things that God has laid on their heart? As we purpose to teach and train, as we purpose to get out into the world and make a difference, would you pray for us? And if the Lord lays it on your heart, we would love for you to go visit trentonshivan.com or worshipwiththeword.com and prayerfully consider making a contribution to this ministry. Your giving goes directly to serving this new project called Worship With The Word as we are purposing to build a school where we can teach and train the worshiper and the musicianary. Hopefully soon, I'm going to have a guest on this podcast who has recently been in prison in the U.S. for standing up for the oppression of a mother and her daughter in the name of Christ and has served three years under U.S. law for his faith. This is where I can't say it enough. What are we singing? Do we really believe it? Would we be willing to go to prison for what we believe? One of the things I have a dream of is teaching a new generation what it looks like to live by faith. Having conviction to stand firm on the word of God, to know the word of God. Teaching them what it looks like to lead with passion out of the overflow of compassion for the lost like Jesus showed us. Leading people to love the house of the Lord like David, but to also, like David, serve in the places of influence like the king that he was. So here's my encouragement with a song like King of Kings. I really got on my soapbox towards worship leaders last week when I share my opinions on forgettable worship songs about memorizing your lyrics. This song, well, guys, it's time. It's time to put the work in to memorize the lyrics. This will allow you to lead with conviction, to put yourself in the place where you're not just singing a song, but you are singing it as if you were someone being put into prison for your faith. It's not just right for us to go to churches if everything is normal today. Though I will say thanks to the Lord for the freedom that we still have in our country to worship the Lord freely in our churches. And I pray that stability remains, because I want that stability for my children and grandchildren too, if the Lord tarries. But I also know that there will be storms that come. And I, for one, know the rock on which I stand. I believe that singing a song like this, we ought to deeply know that we have a firm foundation on the canon of the Word of God. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Jewish story spoken of by the prophets, just like we saw in the lyrics of this song. And you know what? I didn't even read some of these lyrics. There's a ton, so I'm not going to read them. But thinking of those early lyrics in there To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the Word, from a throne of endless glory to a cradle. In the dirt. I mean, these may just seem like cute Christmas stories that we only hear about around Christmas that Jesus was born of a virgin. But the reality here is these are very, very foundational to what we believe. Born of a virgin. The seemingly small things are so crucial for us to know because they're the foundations of the bedrock that says the Bible is the infallible word of God by which we get our truth and our morals and our ethics the way we treat others and judge wrongdoing without these where do we form our truth oh that's right the rest of society says it's inside of you or that it's relevant or i don't know or i don't care i'm just going to listen to today's news because that's truth my gosh today's trust in news is at an all-time low shoot Even so many churches today have gone the way of antichrist culture. A song like this ought to point us to the truth. And yes, that means that those who are kinda eh about whether or not the Bible is true are fooling themselves and are wrong. God, that feels so wrong to say because I just want everyone to get along. No, the confusion is from the enemy. Darkness is not light. The culture around us does not get to dictate what the Bible says. When we sing the words like, the gospel truth of old shall not kneel, do you realize your words are committing treason in some countries? Even in America, to stand in front of an abortion clinic and sing worship songs is a federal offense, and the thought that you might be able to save a life is offensive to people. So where's our lens from when we're singing this song now? I've been living in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia for the past six months, and what I've learned from some of the country boys out here is they'd say of this song, them are fightin' words. I hope that I've encouraged you today to know what you believe, to dig into the word of God and sing with conviction, to lead with conviction. And when someone approaches you about a song that has too many words in it, you'll know how to respond when they say, what are we singing?